Well, hello and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. This is your host, Laura Camacho. How's everybody doing today? Good, I hope. It's been super busy here. I had a baby shower for my youngest child who's having a baby boy in August. Today's topic is influence, specifically positive influence. And it's a topic that I adore. I think it's so cool to see how we are influenced by people around us. And one of the fun things about having your kids out of college, besides the obvious financial benefits to that, your kids kind of become your friends. And then if you're an introvert like I am, some people might say, well, Laura, do you have to conceive and bear children in order to have new friends? And I would say, well, I'm not going to answer that question, but I have enjoyed the process of getting to know my children as they become parents and (laughs) watching them go through all the things that new parents go through. So that's a lot of fun, but sometimes I'll see them respond with exactly what I used to say when they were little and that shows my influence on them so of course you know family is probably the center the crosshairs of most influence most of it good hopefully sometimes the dysfunction is out of control and there's bad influence too and that's what we spend the rest of our lives working on but we're going to talk about positive influence at work today and how we can shape the future about the culture, how people feel about going to work, showing up to work, possibly shaping the financial aspect of our company, you know, making it more profitable or bigger. Another way to influence it is introducing a new project, a product, a concept, experience. We all know user experience, customer experience, employee experience. We all have these ideas about making things better in a way, but we have to sell those ideas. And that was the big takeaway for me in becoming a communication coach was I thought all the work was having the idea. No, 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 no. That is not even table stakes because great ideas are not even a dime a dozen. They're like a dime for a hundred. You've got to execute on the idea But even before you do that, you've got to sell your idea to other people. And that's where influence comes into play. And I'm just super intrigued by that concept of how we're influencing. And even being an influencer in the last, what, 10 years has become a thing as people have become influencers on social media. Of course, we're not going to talk about that kind of influence, really. We're going to talk about the interpersonal and influence in the work environment. And today, our guest is Brian Smith, PhD. He is the founder and senior managing partner of IA Business Advisors, which is a management consulting firm. And what I really liked about Brian is that he's super down to earth, as I am too. Like people say, oh, the thing about Laura is she's so real. And that is true. Got to keep it real, not into highfalutin theories, corporate speak, jargon. No, 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 no. I want things that make sense and that work. So we're going to talk to Brian about positive influence. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Remember that I have a new class out on influence. It's called From Invisible to influence and it's currently constructed like a master class 
on influence, especially for introverts, like how to build influence wherever you are, because we're all influencing people anyway, but how to influence more intentionally, especially intimidating audiences like senior leaders. But I have this course from invisible to influence. And as this episode comes out, the course is having its first debut. So I'm super excited about that. But please remember that I can bring training to your company, a great experience with some communication building, some culture building, some fun, some team building all rolled up into one. And without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Brian Smith, the author of Positive Influence. So I'm so glad to have you, Brian, and glad to have you on the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. And I love the title of your book, Positive Influence. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming an author of this book and a management consultant. I know that you were in the military. You've had quite an interesting path, I believe. I have, Laura. And first, thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. You know, my journey started, as you noted, in the military. One of the things we talk about in our first book was how I ended up in the military. I had a very crazy high school years and I had oh, a okay didn't I didn't get that in this book okay no no so I had a choice jail or the military <laughs> but it pivoted me and it taught me about structure I had always wanted to be an accountant I went to school through the military became an accountant and hated accounting as a practice mm-hmm. itself I love accounting as a science just not being a public accountant mm-hmm. it led me to technology computer systems in the 90s. We were putting computer systems on desktops. It was affecting human behavior as we put these new tools on desktops. And that's how our company, IA, became. It was a byproduct of understanding people, process, technology, and how influential technology was becoming and how human influence was being impacted. And we have turned that into a management consulting practice. I've always thought about influence and what influence really means. And then, of course, the world turned influencer into a job. Yes. And at the same time, I was an athlete also. And there is no I in team was drilled into us by our coaches. And I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, really, there is an I in team. It is not only the individual, but it's the influence that each individual has. It's the input that they have. It's any I word that is a verb or an adjective that can describe human interaction as part of a team. So our books play on that. Mm -hmm. Be the I in team. Yes. I love the movie Bedazzled. And then, of course, I'm not a sports fan, so I'm sure that all the real sports fans out there listening have all heard about the I in team. But I know about it from the movie Bedazzled, which is old, but you should see it. It's really good. Very good. Well, I have a quote about influence here that you write. One of the key traits of someone who has a positive influence is the ability to view themselves and situations multidimensionally. What does that really mean? That means having self-awareness. Is that what you mean? That self-awareness is a prerequisite to positive influence? 
No, I don't think it's a prerequisite. I think that it's part of a multi-layered foundation of understanding who we are, where we come from, what influences us, what has made us what we are today. That includes the things that challenge us or what people might call shortcomings. When we understand these things in context ahead of time, it helps us to react to the things that bring them up or that cause us stress. And we can react more positively when we understand those things about ourselves. So that's what I mean by that. Okay. So what I want to know, because you work in companies like I do, so we see lots of things. I feel like I'm the confessor because I get to hear all the stories, one-on-one, private, safe space. It seems to me, Brian, that some people are just more influential than others. And sometimes it's positive and sometimes it's maybe not negative, but it doesn't, it just seems to be more selfishness driven. But what do you have to say that? Are there certain qualities that give a person a natural edge in being influenced in the work environment? Well, sure. Charismatic people can be more influential because they have confidence right away. So they don't have some of the barriers that introverts might have or more shy people might have who need a runway to get started. They need some kind of spark to get them going. There are some people that can walk in a room, make a beeline to a group of people and start to exert their area of influence immediately, good or bad. Correct, correct. And there's others who take some runway to get going. It takes a spark. It takes an idea. It takes a comment. It takes something that gets them involved to want to put that first foot forward. And then there's that last group who try to hide behind others and oftentimes use the person in front of them to help them gain influence. That's a good observation. I hadn't thought about that. But do you mean like getting the boss to speak up or somebody on the team who's just more talkative to share their ideas? Exactly. We see this all the time. I'm sure you do, too, if you really think about it. Those people who they're really good at what they do. You can put them behind a computer or behind a desk or into a book or into a problem, and they do an amazing job but they can't really communicate well to third parties about what they're doing or how they're doing it, or even sometimes why they're doing it. They're just really good at it. And they oftentimes do that through project managers, supervisors, other peers on the team that might be the lead or something like that. And they gain comfort in having those people of influence next to them. Oftentimes they're forgotten, but sometimes you get a good leader who looks back and pulls those people with them. Maybe yes. maybe not in front of them, but shoulder to shoulder right alongside of them. And that's positive influence. Oh, that is so true. And a lot of people listening to this are kind of in the middle. You know, they're not obviously the super charismatic people. Why would they listen to a podcast on communication skills? They know it all. <laughs> Just talk to people, Laura. <laughs> but there are people who because of their quality of work, have moved up the food chain, have been promoted, promoted, promoted. And then all of a sudden they realize to make it to the next level, 
They need more visibility. They need to exert influence beyond their teams, right? Or beyond their immediate work circle or work group. So those are the people I'm really thinking about out there. A lot of times they feel insecure about influencing because they have been promoted out of their zone of comfort and their zone of expertise. They no longer know all the answers all the time. So what would you say to someone like that who is highly conscientious, high performer, has done well, they need to influence and they will tell you, but Brian, I'm not really sure. I'm not the expert anymore because I'm now leading several teams instead of just turning in the work from my team. Yeah, you know, this is a common problem. I'm sure you see this too, where people are brought up through the organization ahead of schedule. Sometimes it's because there are gaps that are created. But when that happens, I think the number one thing is turning to professionals like us that can help them skill up their communication skills and regain the confidence they had on the last level they were at. And part of that's identifying the new area of influence that they live in and understanding this new area of influence. It also is an opportunity to build bridges to the people that are in your new area of influence and tap into them Mm -hmm. and be a little vulnerable and let them know that you feel like you might have a communication gap. You might even feel a little insecure about this new position you have, but you're there to support them. You're there to move forward with them. And when you ask somebody who is subordinate of you to help you move forward, my experience has been when you do that with sincerity and mindfulness, that they have no problem jumping on board and helping you do that. That vulnerability empowers them through just the natural human trait to support others, to jump right in and help you move forward. And I think asking is a powerful trait for an up-and-coming leader and an established leader. Oh, absolutely. And because I think for most people, we like to help. I think that there is a true satisfaction in being able to help, but it does require that vulnerability. So you're all about asking for help if you feel in any way not confident about your communication. Very much so. I think it builds camaraderie too. You learn so much about a new team when you ask them to help you acclimate. And when they help you acclimate to their new environment, which is your new area of influence, and quite frankly, their new area of influence. And when you do that together, you make the team better and you pivot quicker together back in the right direction. Instead of them feeling threatened or insecure about a new boss and you feeling threatened and insecure about new subordinates and new team members, you tend to do that together and it makes the pivot and it makes the learning process that much better. And I think that goes back to trust building and trust is one of the values, I believe, in the book. So besides asking for help, what are other ways we can build trust? I think trust, it greases the wheels for a lot of things, but I think it's essential for influencing someone. You have to be trusted, right? We do. And, you know, communicating effectively will help build trust. Being specific 
We teach SMART as a verb, not just as a goal-setting action. Okay. So for those that don't know what SMART goals are, it's specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. But it's just one thing to create a SMART goal. It's another to have SMART tactics. So when we communicate, are we being specific? Are we providing measurement in any way that will help us grow together? Is what we're doing attainable for self or for our teams or individually within those teams? Is it realistic and is it really timely? And we teach that and it builds trust in self and it builds trust in teams. So you're saying to use that as a structure, the smart structure and like pitching a solution or an idea? Yes, but then in the action too. So when I'm speaking to somebody, when I'm giving instruction to somebody, setting expectation that is proper as part of building trust. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I tell somebody on my team, you know, I need you to finish this report for XYZ company. And then tomorrow I go to them and say, so did you finish that report? And when they say no to me, it's not fair for me to say, well, you failed. I failed in not telling them that I was expecting it to be done tomorrow and giving them an opportunity to say, you know what? I can't have that done tomorrow. That's not a realistic request for me. This is not a timely time for you to assign this to me. I have all of these other things to do. That is smart communication if you provide that level of detail to them. If I would say, hey, I need you to provide a report. I need it by noon tomorrow. And if they acknowledge that and say, you know what? I can get that done. I have the time to do it. We meet in the middle. The expectation is set and we're on the same path. If any part of that series of communication was missing, you can damage your trust. Either I'm gonna be upset because it wasn't done, or they're gonna be upset because I didn't give them the tools to succeed. Right, or they feel like you were taking advantage of them. Exactly, exactly. And so trust is built by effective communication. Also not being a boss that's a do as I say, not as I do boss. Bosses that sit, and give out orders, but then behave counter to what their expectations are. That will damage trust in a team or an organization as fast as anything else you can do. About owners who put in policies and procedures and then break those policies and procedures because they're the owner or they're the boss. Yes, yes, yes. For thee, but not for me. That's an interesting blocker, or as you would call it, a pitfall to influencing is not being consistent, your words and your actions. You mentioned many pitfalls in your book, but what are the most common ones that you see? Things that will stop you from exercising influence. Yeah, well, of course, there's not good direction, not good delegation, over-promising and underperforming, failure to follow through on what you say. Failure to meet expectations when you agree to those expectations. I think I said failure to communicate, not telling the truth. Yeah, that's a big one. Yes. Yeah. Exaggerating is a huge pitfall. When we exaggerate what we can do individually, what we can do as a team, what our company can do as a whole is a huge pitfall that we see on a regular basis. And that's because of the temptation to please the boss of the boss or the stakeholders or the share price. Or the market. Or the market. Yeah, yes. you know, salespeople might do that. 
hey, I just want to get the sale. So a pitfall would be that a salesperson over promises for their production team or their operations team and operations comes in. And the pitfall is, is that the salespeople laid out all these mines, these promises that they've given to a customer. And now you have this performance team that can't even perform to that. They're going to step in these holes, these pitfalls, and they're going to underperform on something that was overpromised. And that happens a lot in organizations where sales and operations are separate from each other and don't have a clear line of communication between themselves. Absolutely. Well, I want to pivot for a minute to talk specifically about influencing above your pay grade, the people that above you and more senior leaders. Uh, There's so much pressure on people who are approaching senior leadership to get visibility. People need to know who you are. And of course, how do you do that? So what are your recommendations for someone who's trying to get known and trying to be helpful, more helpful to people at a level or two above them through presentations or speaking up in meetings? Or do you have other ideas? Yeah, well, first, I think understanding what your area of influence is and what expectations there are of you clearly will lay a foundation for this. But but what does that mean? What that means is that if you come into an organization and you have any questions about what your area of responsibility is or what your area of influence is or what is expected of you, ask those questions early on. Okay. Fill in those gaps so that you have a clean place to start from in the organization. And once you've got acclimated, start to ask questions. How can I take on more responsibility that will increase my area of influence so that those above me might notice that I am investing? I am trying to gain equity in this company. I'm trying to gain equity in this process and in my position. And I'm trying to help the company through my effort, not just because you're paying me, but because I want to grow with the company. And repeating that, I believe in the broken record. Okay. Repeating that with positive action. Now, if you don't back up that with a positive work ethic and positive communication and engagement within your area of influence, Those words will fall on deaf ears, but if you back that up with positive communication, positive engagement, and positive action, those above you will not just see you, but they'll hear you, and they'll notice you, and you will rise to the top inherently, because not everybody's doing this. All right, guys, you heard it. You need to ask for those opportunities. Opportunity, by the way, equals more work to do, but it's going to get you in front of the senior leaders and give you the opportunity to get to know them better, get to know their challenges better, and build that influence because you've actually delivered. Am I restating that accurately? Exactly. I mean, I've had a lot of people in my career come to me and say, Brian, I would love to have your position. How do I get there? And what can I do to help you move forward so I can fill the gap behind you? And that's a great question because that tells me that I can rely on that person to help me succeed. They're going to invest 
in whatever process that is. And together, we're going to move through that process and grow together. And when you do that, you grow your team, you grow your area of influence in a very positive way. Very good. So that's one of the top questions that I answer on a daily basis is how to do that. But I really like the way you phrase it of just asking your boss to help you with it and to be your ally. I want to mention something in your book that surprised me. And it always surprises me when this topic comes up. And it just shows that even as old as I am, I'm still a little bit naive. Like you mentioned honesty. We shouldn't have to write about honesty, but you put it in there for a reason. In my experience, every time, if I'm not completely honest, it always comes back to bite me (laughs) in the most embarrassing way. I just can't imagine that somebody could be successful without being honest. Tell me about that. Oh, I think there's a lot of people that are successful that aren't honest, that are not honest with themselves, not honest with their peers, not honest with their customers. And I'm not talking about all the time in nefarious ways. We talk about white lies and things like that and how we embellish or sugarcoat things. When we do that, we're not telling the truth about a situation. We're not providing people with opportunity to grow. When we gloss over things that are a learning opportunity with the idea that we're going to protect them or protect ourselves, we're losing opportunities to learn together and to take something that on the first look looks negative and turn it into positive for us. And to allow us to grow and add another brick to our foundation that makes us sturdier and stronger and better. So there's a human tendency to gloss over sugarcoat negativity, especially if we care about the people around us because we don't want them to be hurt or our ego gets in the way. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be held accountable. But all that does, as you pointed out, you're always going to get found out, is it forestalls the inevitable, which is you're not only going to be found out about the error that happened, but you're also going to be found out about you covering up or sugarcoating the error that happened. All that does is that's like gas on a fire. It chips away at trust, our credibility, and those are things that you can take a lifetime to build up in one tall tale spoken in the wrong place at the wrong time to the wrong person could wipe that out for a day, a week, or even a lifetime. So it's not that they're saying Brad did it when it was Mary who did it, but it's more of a glossing over a failure to acknowledge that impact of a mistake or the impact of something. And the thing is, is we don't have to tell people that flat out lying is wrong. Everybody knows that. Yeah, exactly. Telling somebody that you caught a fish that was three feet long when it was two feet long. We're not talking about that either. We're talking about things like covering up a mistake because we don't want a client to be upset with us that we missed a deadline. So We cover that mistake up and try to hide it or sweep it under the rug to buy us an extra day or a week or whatever we're trying to buy time for. And then it gets found out. You might have still got the job done, but you caused stress. And what you've done is identified that you're willing to not tell the truth to get through a short-term problem instead of just tackling it straight on and saying, you know what? 
I failed to get it done in time. I'm putting all my effort in to get it done by this new date. And then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you get it done at that new date, you've shown them that you're accountable and that you put effort into the problem you created or that you're responsible for and come out the other side with respect and a solution. Right. And that is what really magnifies and multiplies the trust and the influence because you have owned up any mistakes. You got to own it. So there was one part of one topic in your book that hit a little bit too close to home. And I coach people on this topic, but I'm always like, are you listening, Laura? (laughs) And that is overreacting. Usually we overreact because we feel attacked or we feel like we're not appreciated that all the good stuff that we did somehow didn't make it to the equation. And how do you control, get that massive supreme control not to lose it? Yeah. So I'll share with how we do it here. I hate surprises. Mm -hmm. Everybody who deals with me knows that I don't like surprises. So what I tell people is before you start a conversation with me, if it's going to be something that you know is going to be a surprise to me, tell me. For instance, if you're angry and you need to vent, tell me, hey, I'm angry and I'm going to vent. And I now am prepared and I'm not going to get defensive when you exhibit these emotions that you're bringing to the conversation. And I think it's safe for humans to share the emotion they're feeling before starting a conversation. I don't think that humans need to wait until they've already exhibited the body language and the words and the intonement and everything else that goes with it. I think it's safe for us to say, you know, what happened yesterday has really made me angry and I really need to be heard. And I might be emotional while doing this. Please don't get defensive about it. I need this to get the conversation moving, to get to resolution. And Our team and our clients, when they do that, reduce the overreactions, reduce the conflicts that happen with those incidents that oftentimes create it. What it also does is it helps us to practice as human dealing with the stress of those emotions. And when they do happen and we are surprised, when we practice this, Our immediate need to react negatively is dampered or tampered down a little bit. And we rely back on the fact that, oh, you know what? I wasn't given the opportunity to express myself. Let me take that deep breath. Let me be more mindful and thoughtful about my reaction. And the more time we slow down and practice the share the emotion, solve the problem, share the emotion, solve the problem, the more we practice that, When we get into situations that here's the reaction, there's the emotion, we can control it a little better. Okay, so even in a meeting, Brian says something about Laura and just like hits me the wrong way. So I just say, Brian, that really irritated me what you just said. Yeah, everybody in the room would know that. I mean, yeah, they would. (laughs) Yeah, they would know that that is a communication tactic that we teach to our clients. So our clients that we teach this to, their whole organization understands that that is a tactic that's used to decompress and to level out emotional confrontation. So when they're in a room and they hear somebody say that, it's a trigger to everybody. 
hey, Laura's upset. Brian said something. We need to give her the opportunity to put it on the table so it can get unpacked, resolved, and moved past. Okay. So that to me goes back to the culture. You're talking about the communication, building the culture based on the values. So exactly. Exactly. That's a great topic. Unfortunately, we are running out of time, Brian. So I'll let you have the last word. I, if you have anything else you would like to share with our audience about building their influence, I know that's an important goal for them and where they can find you. And the book is, again, Positive Influence. And he wrote it with his daughter. Very cool. I think it's a family produced book. That's extremely interesting. So what would you like to close this conversation with? You know, one question that I often don't get asked that I'd like to be asked is, well, why did you do this? Mm -hmm. And it's one reason. Every human matters. If you read, you'll notice that we say everyone matters. Everyone has influence. It's our biggest responsibility. And all of you out there, you have influence. I don't care what it is you do, what area of influence you're in. I don't care if you're digging ditches, sweeping floors, serving tables, or running companies. You have influence and you matter. And positivity will move you forward. It is one of the most powerful human traits we can have is to try to be positive through any challenge that we have. All right. Very well said. And where would you like people to find you? You know, on all the socials, it's the iinteamseries.com, and it's just how it sounds, the iinteamseries.com or the iinteamseries on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. If you go to that area, you can find me individually, but we really do a lot of our publishing and our posting of our influence thoughts and the tools and tactics that we teach in our work is all available right there. Awesome. Well, this has been extremely valuable. I know that we've got lots of takeaways, lots of tools and ways of thinking about how to influence, how to recognize that we already are influencing, but we can intentionally build that by recognizing the opportunities in front of us and asking for more responsibility and not sugarcoating. And yes. not overreacting and not being all those things. A great read. So thank you. Thank you, Laura, very much. I really appreciate it. All righty. I'll see everyone in the next episode.